Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts. Andy, covering Justice number 10, and... Steven, with looking at DP7 number 10. Started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastical approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably realistic technology, physics, astronomy, biology. Eight new comic series launched in one month set in our world in 1986. Now as the stories progress to 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals except for a few secret agencies. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We can also supply you with a website where we're located on kickersinc.com, which has more of our uh, information and material we've gathered so far. We have a Super Sleuth sweepstakes from the first few issues still available there. And we're deep in discussions about a follow-up uh, uh, Super Sleuth sweepstakes contest <laughs> coming soon. We need a new first letter for this sweepstakes. <laughs> like the... More sibilance, sibilance, whatever you call it. <laughs> Uh, in the meantime, you can also jump on with our new universe slogan contest, and that's just uh, not so much a uh, contest online as just email us a slogan for the new universe podcast that we can use. Uh, at, we're at um, newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. Um, our Twitter account at Kickers Inc. also, um, where we update you on what the week's uh, upcoming podcast is going to be. And uh, we'll give a shout out to our friends over at the uh, Facebook fan page, Marvel Comics New Universe fans, who are always very supportive of the show. Yeah, so uh, this week I'll be covering Justice and Tenson is a fish out of water, possibly an exiled alien policeman. Possibly just a crazy person. Uh, definitely fighting drug-dealing street punks and dark wizards from his home dimension. Uh, he wields the sword and shield of justice as he brings his black-and-white fight against evil to our morally gray world. And gotta look out for that corruption. Um, so this week in Justice number 10, uh, Justice must defend Earth from a renegade band of evil justice warriors from his home planet. Uh, scripted by Jerry Conway, plotted and penciled by Keith Giffen, and inked by Vince Coletta. Um, the short version is, where there is good, there is evil, and Justice's evil nemesis follows him wherever he goes. That could be like any issue, really, but the first <laughs> one is pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's surprisingly accurate. Um, although it's, I always still feel like Marvel bullpen or something is like playing the telephone game where they're like relaying the messages back and forth and so you get like justice does he come from another dimension or another planet i you know maybe i don't know <laughs> but anyway so this week i'll be covering dp7 seven random people once ordinary and average begin to display powers extraordinary and paranormal in the wake of the white event 
uncertain how to use or even live with their new abilities and their family's reactions. Their lives are upended by the clinic they went to for help, which now hunts them in a bid to control them. Together, but not the same. They are seven displaced paranormals on the run, or as we call them, DP7. This week's DP7 number 10, DP7's Tower of Strength, David Landers, is forced to make a fateful decision, free his friends from the sinister clinic, or save himself. For as strong as he is, David fears he does not have the power to do both. Orphans is written by Grunwald, illustrated by Brian Antendahl. Or the short version, that displaced paranormals have all been recaptured by the clinic, except Dave, and in the frozen wilderness, he's facing the woodsman. Interesting how the longer one doesn't even mention the woodsman. (laughs) Um, Was it like a late addition to the script? Um, Mm, Should have a guy. I don't know. Let's see. The... uh, yeah, it's the closest thing we've gotten so far to a code name, too. True. Dare you True. face the woodsman? <laughs> it's just some guy taking a hike. I don't know. <laughs> He's in the woods. Um, and uh, we'll also uh, return and finish up, I guess, our discussion on uh, from the Universe News, where they talk about um, what would you do with the power of the hero you write. Right. In which most people's answers were like beating up subway vagrants and (laughs) not having to argue with your spouse and stuff. (laughs) They were getting pretty tired of the subways in New York in 1987, I think. That's fair, man. I was there last year. It's always a little questionable. questionable. (laughs) Nobody would mess with Dave Landers on the subway, though. Except maybe complain that he takes up three seats. What are you doing Excuse there, man? Excuse me, spreading? sir. Excuse me. I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'll, I'll, I, I, well, one of the joys of the new universe is that it's not as New York centric as uh, that's true. Everything else, but even though the writers and and artists are still all located in New York City at the time, I think. But yeah, they always try to get out of the house. Yeah, we have. Can we get enough New York with just plain old Marvel and such, or at least the uh, weirdo space version of it? But yeah. So anyway, uh, time for Justice issue ten. Uh, cover date: We've made it all the way to August eighty-seven. Uh, actual release date: Closer to May twelfth, eighty-seven. So still in the spring, in the springlands, we might call it. Um, <laughs> and. You know, we, we've picked up Keith Giffen, which has made kind of a pretty strong impact on the book. So the previous issue um, was mostly just kind of a look at Tenson, um, kind of cold and alone in the city as it gets progressively snowier and darker. And he had a run in with a, basically a serial killer, um, but basically having a tough time. So, you know, uh, maybe he's reunited with Arnie. Um, but also he's basically mourning the loss of uh, Becky Chambers, who's not really dead, but is working with uh, Damon and Dad uh, over in the evil dimension, the Winterlands. And here we get a really strong peek at the Winterlands. Uh, and I remember in an earlier issue thinking like, you know, maybe I'm kind of okay with not really knowing that much about 
his dimension. We just get little peeks of it. Um, but I'm kind of curious. It seemed kind of masters of the university uh, to a degree, like He-Man world. Um, but here, here we get a, a strong peek at the the dark side of it, I suppose, uh, in issue ten. So anyway, uh, cover's kind of interesting. Uh, got some large, brutish, muscly, purple thing that's kind of shadowed uh kind of holding justice over his head like he's defeated and we see that through like a portal uh that like damon conquest is watching like sitting on his chair with a you know glass of scotch kind of like cheering it on like yeah justice is going down it really has like a a, a nice wrestling move kind of look to it i don't know what you call that Oh yeah, very much like these, like a Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant body slam kind of thing. I don't see any credits on the cover anywhere, though. So. Yeah, I couldn't find them anywhere. I looked all around the uh, edges and the embroidery. Um, could have been another like um, random person in the bullpen did it because we we needed it out that weekend. Yeah. Either way, it, it's it's a neat cover. It does look good. I mean, no complaints. And it relates to the story. Um, so yeah, as we open the book, um, get our traditional splash page. It even has the word justice written in the title uh, font, right? Title imagery. Javustus. Um, I now, now can't not see that every time I... Yeah, so the, the Mike Rockwitz interview, he said the... He repeatedly called Justice Javistus, and apparently that was a bit of the in-joke in there. For the record, I do I do uh, save all the text files that I, I use for this as under that title, JB. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> so, um, as I said in the intro, so we actually we do get the, the same team. So we got Jerry Conway, writer, Keith Giffen, artist, um, both listed as storytellers, and then from the uh, promo, it sounds like Giffen was plot and art, and then Conway did the the scripting, and then Vince Coletta on inks, and uh, yeah, he does a nice job on these inks. A lot of black, so a lot of inking, no doubt. Yeah, the, it was a different inker on the previous issue, and um, we heard a little from, again, Rockwitz about uh, Vince Coletta's um, people's uh you know they have strong feelings about him i guess based on his work with kirby and uh yeah there's books from tomorrow about you know he going through um kirby pencils versus coletta inks and everything and uh this is i mean he's doing fine here and this is a completely different style so you know no complaints from me um coletta doing fine um, yeah, he's and he's inked a lot of the new universe titles to this point. His name shows up very often. So, but anyway, so the book, um, you know, opens up basically. You, we've got sort of a desolate scene. You know, it's you know dark, maybe dawn, um, and there's what looks like a big skyscraper, basically uh, in the background. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like the, it's the fantasy world, but it's like. A high rise, like um, they were living in in Los Angeles, kind of. Yeah, I, I got the impression, or my fill in the blanks brain was thinking that, you know, Damon liked his spot in Earth 
and then duplicated it here. Oh yeah. That's Rather cool. than they have a classic 1980s skyscraper and just happen to have parallel developed or whatever. But but anyway, so we get some good narration here. Uh here in the winterland, the sun shines but rarely, and the darkness of the spirit lies over the earth. Here in the winterland, men plot the destruction of other men and the desecration of life. Here in the winterland, evil has a name, and none dares oppose it. For in the winterland, there is no justice. Justice. <laughs> you know, Dad, I've got a good feeling about today. Today's the day we <laughs> finally do it. Oh, Dad. <laughs> None dare utters the name of dad <laughs> because it's so <laughs> silly. It's so silly. <laughs> it's very like Eddie Haskell. Come on, dad. I've got a great idea feeling about today. This is my really gonna, today's gonna be the best. <laughs> you know, like previous all issue, or I mean, the most recent issues, Damon Conquest was kind of weaselly and, you know, unimpressive, but here he's, he's, He's got his second wind, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's the Giffen version or just yeah. the sort of disc- the way they've developed the character. But, you know, compare this issue to like the fight in Mexico and the, the conquests there. And it's like... Yeah, it's, it's two different books. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> so, I, I, well, I, I like the light and colorful kind of thing too i also like this dark uh creepy thing so but yeah but let's let's get into it a little bit and kind of show some of these characters introduce some of these characters but um so yeah basically damon is describing their plan right so the king mourns the loss of tenson the queen grieves for tenson as well her lover tenson himself as on earth exiled he thinks becky chambers is dead And so they're basically trying to make everyone so miserable that they can sort of harness their energy, right? So their their, uh, uh, corruption, their sadness and bad feelings and kind of use that against them. Uh, Despair is such a fertile field for the sowing of corruption. (laughs) Uh, So that's that's kind of their plan uh, throughout overall like they haven't killed them they haven't attacked per se and defeated them they're trying to build up all of this uh, despair um and we get introduced to a cast of characters so yeah Tabor comes in just kind of like a slumped shoulders kind of almost looks like a normal guy uh bald white coat um he says war chief malachite has arrived uh, to report preparing the final assault on the land of spring um and Malachite is intimidating looking. And here's, here's the first one where I was like, okay, this is very uh, fourth world, dark side, Kirby kind of stuff. Uh, these interesting... Exactly, yeah, what I, I got onto. Yeah, it becomes very much apocalypse. Um, yeah. Feeling. <laughs> get into it. Just, just without the impressive name, <laughs> right? So you get the big leader dark side right which is kind of a cool intimidating name versus dad who hangs out in a hot tub <laughs> <laughs> but anyway they, they do make him intimidating in this one too um but yeah so you know he, he basically says we're ready um we're just waiting for the infusion of dark power to launch our assault uh, and he says the the remaining justice warriors you know doesn't look like they're mounting much defense you know 
you know, they languish like frightened women, too discouraged by their king's bleak mood to ready themselves for warfare. And the, and the king in previous issues has not been shown to be necessarily the most impressive or competent guy. He, he was kind of a little whiny. Um, but yeah, Malachi is creepy. He's got like big glowing circles for eyes. He's kind of got like a purple overcoat with some pouches and such big shoulders and like a weird teeth nose thing that i'm not sure i can really describe visual verbally yeah i don't quite know what's going on there but it is creepy as heck yeah it works it doesn't look quite human <laughs> as far as that goes um but yeah so so he's given the report you know we attack at sunset you know we're we're basically just about ready to go um and, and yeah so Damon conquest here is a lot more menacing a lot more dark uh, a little less whiny though he's still like uh, super subservient to dad uh, it's like i like how he's like tell your men how proud we are of them dad and i he's like actually like a pretty good leader you know like three minute manager he's always like building his people up and stuff <laughs> You probably re read some of those '80s power uh, <laughs> corporate leader books, kind of thing. Getting you got to be a shark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You see, Dad. By tomorrow's dawn, the world will be ours, and one man alone will be the author of Spring's downfall. Tenson, who calls himself Justice. Have I served you well, Dad? Have I been your faithful son? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, kid. Smack. <laughs> I made that part up. Um, but yet in the shadows, something shifts ponderously. And then we get another splash page of dad. Um, it's a, and I love this. Uh, and a voice like black ash born on a volcanic wind breathes an almost inaudible sigh of contentment. <laughs> yes, boy, I am pleased. <laughs> this, you get a full shot of dad, like big muscly sitting on a throne of kind of rocks and bones. Uh, again, a lot, of, a lot of shadowed face, so you don't make out a lot of details, but just seeing like the outline of his teeth and his mustache and a bit, a bit more menacing than last time we saw him. Yeah, it's this guy same, is really intimidating. Yeah. yeah, it's still the same character, essentially. Um, not dad. <laughs> oh, all right, so, so the plan unfolds, you know, they're trying to corrupt justice and use all of the sort of negativity and uh, fear and sadness and problems and kind of harness that, turn that into weaponized energy, basically. Um, we cut to Justice on page six, um, and he had just vaporized some drug dealer, right? So, of course, right? He's, he's doing his thing. Um, and he says kind of an important line to the story here, Um you know, since I came to this world, this earth, months ago, I've seen corruption take many forms, but these merchants of chemical oblivion reek with a special stench of decay. Still, I did not strike in anger. A justice warrior must never judge with passion. Um, and that's that's kind of an important piece here uh, as it comes later. And, you know, so again, he's kind of thinking to himself, um, you know, about things being kind of corrupted and... Again, feeling down about himself, essentially. Uh, he betrayed his king by loving the queen too much and things like that. Uh, and he's still trying to kind of get back and trying to uh, uh, 
you know, return to his, his homeland. But again, he, he's always been kind of thwarted. He doesn't have that energy or the ability to do that. Um, and then we get an interesting panel where it looks like something's reaching out for him, kind of behind him. But also we see like a portal, which it seems like more like a viewing thing. And it cuts to uh, Becky Chambers and Damon Conquest uh, talking. So they're kind of viewing him, uh, looking all sad and mopey. Um, and we've had a, a big shift here, though. So, um, da, 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 da. where's the line? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so Damon's, there is your enemy, Rebecca Chambers. What do you feel when you look upon him? She says, hate. What else should I feel? His weakness, you are power. I hate him. I love you. I want him destroyed. I want you triumphant. Okay, that's new. <laughs> Right. Yeah, she was still kind of giving him the brush off an issue or two ago. Yeah. But, uh, so women up... are drawn to power. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that. But... <laughs> That's how I got my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh but yeah, so in the previous issue, like he was kind of helping train her. They were running her through like a uh like one of those police training things where the, the images pop up and you got to shoot the bad guys and not shoot the good guys and stuff. And like he was pining for her hard, but she was always like, you yeah, know, get out of here. <laughs> I have nothing to do with him. Um, but yeah, so you know, he says, uh, hard to believe we stood on opposite sides. Don't you ever resent me for what I've done to your mind? So I guess that kind of explains it then. You know, he, he's twisted her mind somehow even more than just the amnesia. Because when she came to the world, dad kind of had her convinced that they were in the right. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore. Seems like, yeah, she's bought on to yeah. whatever his program is. So very much like the Star Wars gone to the dark side kind of thing is, is what I'm getting here, at least. Um, but yeah, so, you know, they're looking on you know, he he failed to do his part you know he was he was weak you know kill him or let me she says uh, he says oh he'll die soon enough rebecca but not while his continued existence is still useful to me uh so we waited to let his wounds heal and let his heart fall into despair and now he's now he's ready like now he's corrupt enough for us to steal his power i guess i do like that rebecca says um not good, not evil. Power matters. Not good, not evil, only power. When I worked for the U.S. Justice Department, some part of me must have understood that. Wow, she actually has a very good understanding of the U.S. Justice Department. Okay. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Nothing. <laughs> oh, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? I've never heard that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a new saying I came up with. So, so Justice is kind of standing in an alley in New York and newspapers flying by and he starts thinking about Rebecca uh, being dead and how the police are hunting him for it. Um, and basically something opens up behind him and like this green energy kind of leaps out towards him and zaps him. Um, so he looks like he kind of poofs into energy, uh, leaving his trench coat behind for whatever reason, but it does. Um, and then it kind of rockets so the green kind of takes him, rockets through the skyline, and then lands in the desert, uh, which I'm presuming is still on Earth. Um, 
because yeah, oh go ahead no that's yeah. my impression yeah so and he says you know a flat plain white as salt you know do i know this place it doesn't actually look like the like bonneville salt flats or anything but probably just california desert um barren i was thinking land. like canyon lands in the arizona but yeah could be when he says white salt, you think of Great Salt Lake, but it doesn't look like that. So. Yeah, it definitely looks a little more more red rocks, southwest kind of stuff. But but anyway, um, it's just a battleground here. So it says, unlike the winterland, so hot. And someone else, someone else speaks up and says, are you frightened, justice warrior? You should be. All men should be frightened when they meet black justice. Who is not a black guy who looks dressed like justice, who's you, what you might have kind of imagined. Uh, black just being evil in this case. <laughs> would like the black exploitation version of justice. That would be pretty cool. Um, yeah, maybe like if Grant Morrison re- had written this and you, know, you got black justice, and it could be cool, but no, it's just a um, actually, it looks like a super muscle bound almost version of like Thomas from Psy Force, the size stalker guy. Uh, gives me that vibe a little bit with the hair, but um, yeah, big, huge guy, uh, bigger than Justice, uh, huge muscles, kind of like this purple uh, combo leather biker jacket, football shoulder pads kind of outfit. Um, and we get some more good narration here. It says, his flesh seems to bubble in the sunlight, steam rising from his pores like smoke from a smoldering fire. I know him only by reputation. Uh, hairs lift at the back of my neck. I am frightened. So, all right. Which you never expected to hear from Justice. No, right? Um, let me just point out, this is like already like the third splash page or something. And, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's just a kind of a pacing or to put emphasis on things or something, but you can imagine that's a little easier than having multi-panel pages. Yeah. Um, So, you know, it ends up being like a good storytelling technique as well as like probably speeding up the process and they were always finding their deadlines. Yeah. It definitely opens it up. And, you know, so in the previous page, there's like a three panel piece and, that gives you some more wide open space too, right? Where you can kind of see a little bit. Like the setting's not too important, but it's kind of nice to have at least a little detail there. And like, all right, this big, it's without narrating it, it kind of shows you you're, just, you're in this big wide open space with nobody around. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of works. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, talking and fighting in, right? At this point, <laughs> so... Uh, just Tenson calls him Klain, K-L-A-N-E. Uh, used to be a justice warrior, but he fell in love with the power he commanded. Love turned to lust. <laughs> um, and so they kind of argue about that and, and uh, you know, speaking almost sort of poetically about his, his love of power um, and how much he yearns for it like food. Uh, but as, as they fight... Um, Queen or Black Justice basically kind of like chops the back of Tenson's head. And as he does so, it's like black inky something comes out. And it says, and da, 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 uh, darkness embraces me. Her cold black fingers draw me close. Her lips touch my eyes. I cannot scream. And he calls it the night call, C A U L. And basically it looks like, yeah, a big blob of ink is kind of enwrapped on his head. 
on, on Tenson. Um, it says, feel it absorb your fears and nightmares. Gentle, is it not? Like an infant's kiss. So, um, so yeah, his, his kind of head is covered by this stuff. And as he kind of reaches to touch his face and maybe try and pull it off, um, Black Justice comes from behind with like two fingers and basically like, you know, on either side of his head, like pokes his pointer finger through Justice's hands, like the palms of his hands. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, I think this, uh, this reminded me of um, something in... Um sword and citadel i think there's like a soldier who there's like these flying black things that wrap around someone's head yeah yeah they're sort of ashy like smoky almost yeah i i mean i'm not sure what this one's doing it seems to be more like he's, he's got like provoking a nightmare or something or just, yeah but uh it's not just smothering him it's um, doing something yeah yeah, but so so yeah, it's, it sort of dissipates on its own. You know, he talks about how it's going to shatter his mind. Uh, he's standing there like with his foot on Tenson's head, um, but Justice repels him with the shield, uh, kind of catches him af- off guard. Uh, he says it barely staggers, you know, less with the impact than with surprise. So you know, uh, we get the impression maybe Justice is a little outmatched here, um, but. Um, Black Justice, this um, uh, clean character, mentioned Becky Chambers, and that sets off Tenson. What do you know of her? Is she dead? Um, He says, you hurt me, and I will again if you don't answer my question. Um, So he just kind of uses this to bait him. um, And he says, here's my answer. No more games. You die. And there's just basically a huge energy explosion. And it's not really clear to me exactly what he did. Uh, whether he's like throwing some Dragon Ball Z kind of energy bombs at him or something or uh, but a big boom Uh, a break in the action briefly we get another uh, Winterlands creepy dude uh, doctor doctor something Uh, so this is big giant orange machine uh, imagine kind of like a huge space telescope but like more intricate and weird looking um and uh, Damon's there checking on the doctor and, and seeing like, all right, is it time or have we harvested the dark energy yet? Um, um, and almost. So the doctor says, we'll know quite soon. As always before, when he used his sword of justice, Tenson remained true to the justice warrior's code. Despite provocation, he never has struck down an enemy in anger. For a justice warrior to judge in anger would be the ultimate corruption. Right, so they're waiting for that moment for him to uh, uh, absorb all that evil, corrupt goodness, apparently. All right, so after that, another interlude. Uh, we cut to Danielle Stone, who was the lawyer who tried to help Justice get off, but also was working for you know Damon in some capacity, uh, as far as things go. Maybe also had a connection to Tattoo. Uh, yeah, tattoo. But, was, but she was Danielle Tosin before. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, Whoops. Now it's Stone. Okay. Maybe that's her middle name is Stone. <laughs> her professional <laughs> name. Oh, okay. Stone <laughs> was too ethnic. I couldn't use it professionally. Okay. Yeah. So so here we get the first half of the classic villain's mistake. Like so um 
Damon's calling to say, uh, yeah, you, you can call off the police. You know, she says like, oh, that's not exactly how this works. Uh, and he says, well, he's dead. Uh, are you certain? He's like, yeah, trust me, he may be breathing now. Uh, but, you know, it's only a matter of time. You know, he's toast. <laughs> um, so underestimating and assuming that the plan will work here. I like yeah. that you just make a place a call from uh, the dark land or whatever. <laughs> Maybe they open a portal and then the the phone cord goes through. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good catch, though. Some 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 interesting phone technology there. The metaphysics of it, yeah, are, are left to our imagination. So. <laughs> Yeah, so the smoke clear. They go back to the battle. The smoke kind of clears after the explosion, um, and Justice is starting to get the idea that Becky Chambers is alive, and he's sort of mocking him. Um, Justice is kind of down on the ground, uh, weakened but not out, and Plain's kind of standing uh, a little ways away and starts mo- marching towards him, basically mocking him, uh, telling him that. Um, Damon and Chambers are our lovers now and just getting him pissed, uh, which we know is a good reason or there's a good reason for what he's doing. Uh, and he says, it seems to draw from betrayal. Says, you lie and you do I, warrior. What does your heart tell you? What do you believe? And But he can't believe that she's been corrupted. And that's that's the final straw. So he says, you lie. And he's got both the sword and shield out uh, in front of Klain and basically chops him into tiny pieces. And this impressive looking panel where he's, yeah, <laughs> taken to bits. Just ripped him apart. Yeah. Ripped him apart. Absolutely. You got like cross sections of his head flying through the air. And like, yeah, it's impressive. It's, and yeah, there's, a, there's like a uh, artist who does these like. Uh, cross sections of people you can get like they do a display of it so it's a little um that's just like the beginning of what's going on here though so. yeah <laughs> so tenson says it must be my imagination as he dies i swear i see clean grin in triumph uh, anger recedes and agony returns uh so he kind of collapses to the ground but one more hit uh i want to sleep i want to die <laughs> Um, and then someone comes in again, poor Tenson, poor lost justice warrior. And this time it's Becky Chambers here to kick him while he's down, essentially. Um, and base chastises him for uh, screwing up, for, you know, attacking while angry. You know, you're pathetic, you're corrupt. You know, he gets a peek at her aura, which is sort of black and green, like the serial killers was. Uh, so dark and corrupted. And then the the final uh, villain's mistake here, uh, she walks away too. She says, I asked Damon to let me finish you, but looking at you now, I have to ask, what's the point? You're already dead, Tenson. You just don't know it yet. Uh, and he's kind of feeling the same way. I pray for oblivion, but this time not even darkness will claim me. Uh, but she left them alive. So, I mean, it's... it's yeah, he, he, remember, can't transfer from dimension to dimension but she's just walking to, walks away and poofs into wherever so she's got the whether it's their power or she's been trained in it now yeah i assume someone sort of behind the scenes is running the transporter there or something but i don't know <laughs> uh, so yeah so 
we get sort of a last uh, page or two of Damon, you know, feeling successful, uh, eating some creepy looking worm thing <laughs> to just finally cement that this is not normal. Uh, uh, let's see. But yeah, you know, by the morrow, spring will be ours. We'll crush the resistance, kill the, the wizard. Uh, anybody that's left the hounds will will find you know take the children and brainwash them uh and you know he's got special plans for the queen who's apparently gonna be kind of become his lover and he will bear a son and oh well she's gonna die in childbirth and all, all of the creepy horrible things you could imagine uh, that's what we're going for damon uh, knows you it's not that you plan to fail it's that you fail to plan he's got all this stuff lined up so, so last panel, in the shadows, Dad laughs, and a cold wind blows harsh over the winterland. It's not over yet. Never count out a Justice Warrior before he's six feet under. Next month, the dark before the dawn. So as, wow. I mean, we can assume Justice is our title character and not dead. Um, this is sort of the climactic, it's not going to get any worse than this point. <laughs> uh, or maybe it could. The dark before the dawn so it may in fact be getting worse next issue but uh, hopefully uh tenson pulls up his interdimensional bootstraps and uh, starts vaporizing some people maybe they take away his corruption you know they kind of have siphoned it off and then kind of leave him a blank slate i don't know maybe yeah the, i mean it's interesting much like um you notice with a couple other titles that like right at this point they're all sort of engaging in more long-term uh, storytelling. And so it feels like this is really leading into, yeah, like he, he he's either at a low point or they're somehow going to hit him even harder to, to right. like bounce back from. But yeah, this is really dragging him into the uh, suffering. So it's really effective stuff. We need some diner food and an Arnie pep talk and, you know, maybe a montage to get him back on his feet. Arnie, where are you? <laughs> Where's the chicken fried steak? <laughs> uh, venison. Give me some venison. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was my biggest note takeaway from this is that it feels very uh, new gods now. Uh, oh, very, which, yeah. <laughs> which is, I mean, before, you know, like you said, the, how invested you are in this other world and, you know, it kind of goes back and forth like maybe this is interesting maybe it's not i don't know um but yeah that we were really getting into the heart of whatever winterland versus spring and you know, things are coming to a head over there i guess so uh, adds this this you know extra struggle to to justice's um everyday struggle um yeah, it's not just dealing with New York City and drug dealers and police and that kind of stuff, and the occasional, uh, you know, break in from the other dimension causing problems. You know, but but yeah, it's it's interesting because we've got this sort of more fleshed out dark side. I mean, well, the the Winterland side, where the the Spring Group um, never really seemed that confident or competent, I guess. It's like, you know, the king's not too impressive. The queen has been kind of half exiled and Webstrel 
is like a wizard, but he's never really shown himself to do anything besides like listening by the door. Like, you know, we don't have an impression. Like, is he really powerful? Can he do stuff? Yeah, they have like the justice warriors are always like, you know, Tenson was the greatest among us, but I mean, that would be more meaningful if they were competent, but yeah, when we see no, them, they have trouble kind with of... the hounds, which Jenny could punch in the face and take out and, you know, they couldn't get past her revolver, which was like the ultimate weapon to them. Yeah. So, and I don't know, but I mean, yeah, when, when we, an issue or two ago, like the people in the dark world were just like dog faced boys and now they're, everything is like warped so dark that it's yeah it really and and it it could be purely unintentional and and you know it's probably just a change in direction and in art and such but it almost kind of makes sense if they were going to earth to kind of steal this energy and so they keep absorbing more and more of this sort of dark power and as they do, like they get more twisted, it, it right? That becomes, yeah, that's more and more evil things. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say also, like Tenson, um, sort of living in his own head, you know, if you were to like take another look version of this, is also becoming darker and darker. And so, like, his projecting his despair onto this imaginary place. But yeah, I like that. Uh, siphoning the dark energy is actually producing results. It's not just some like weird machine somewhere. It's like, oh yeah, we're all becoming visibly like a David Lynch film now. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and, there's yeah more dark ink too. Oh man, now I'm trying to remember. There was something this reminded me also, but oh now it's gone. Oh yeah, there was like a. Sometimes things like this are like, um, like in the real world, it's kind of annoying how comic booky it is. There was a something said in World War II where Nazis were um, kidnapping like nuclear scientists or something, and this is like supposedly before anyone knows about the Los Alamos and stuff. And it's like mm-hmm. they, they they use it to build like a brain sucking machine that like. You know, takes their spirit out or something. You know, like, you know, you had a good idea there in the first place, and now you've gone way too comic booky with it. You know, yeah. know what I mean? But here, it all works. This works great together. Right. You know, it's very consistent. So there's no. It is in fact a comic book. <laughs> so, but yeah, definitely not very grounded in the real world. Uh, this is not the world outside our window. This is, uh, yeah, but it's, I don't know. If it's the most fantastical um, corner of the new universe, like I said before, I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. Um, it's like like the uh, Scarlet Witch. If her power is throwing hex bolts, then she works as like a member of the Avengers or something. If her power is completely altering reality, then you don't really belong in like a, a you know normal team, comic book sort of situation so right all these guys are still sort of on the level of uh the paranormals and what have you that we've seen otherwise and yeah storytelling before following all the rules i would say too so there you go Mm. 
We have a great yeah, universe news as the brief mention of justice. Where is it? Um, yeah. So the, the question that we've been looking at for this month's worth was um, out of universe news. If you had the power or abilities of the ma- main hero you write, what would you do with it? Um, we got Jerry Conway to say it in this case. If I had the power of justice, I would use it on myself to balance my creative and destructive tendencies. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like use the sword is... on one side of his head and the shield on the other. And like, what are you talking about? Its power is the sword and the shield and uh, aura reading. I don't know what you're talking about, Jerry. Are you really um, writing this? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, sometimes writers are. Um, he was actually pretty new to the character, though, too. So true, true. Um, just yeah, tell us just something, Jerry. <laughs> he's just looking at it from a much different uh, point of view than I can relate to. So. Hmm. What was it? Yeah, he did write the last issue, but probably scripting, if I had to guess as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Justice is probably the hardest one to kind of put yourself in his place, just because he's really the character. You know, it's not like a normal person who got the powers and has to kind of struggle and figure out how to deal with them. Like he, his whole world is this justice persona. You know, protect with the shield. If you're evil, you have the evil aura, you know, no questions, no, no uh emotion, just vaporize them and move on, kind of thing. So yeah, he's um I don't know. Like I say it's a, a character that works it seems more set in like a historical setting, like a uh, cowboy or a, a knight in uh, like King Arthur sort of a story um or yeah, the bible i mean he has a sort of an old testament feel to him too yeah that's very true um but so yeah it, part of it's fun that having this kind of a character in the modern world and the uh, disconnect between the world and him he's not having a good time of it though yeah for me i don't know it's a uh, it's then hard to say like it's good like you know, police, military, even emergency worker kind of stuff. Imagine, um, let me get some this rubble off this guy who's, you know, the wall fell on him. I push it off with my you know, shield. And, yeah. And... Hmm. But then would you just be tempted to vaporize the guy you work with who is beats his wife and has an evil aura or something that you know it's like <laughs> it would yeah be a, it's would be a it's curse much, too i think yeah I try mean, and use it in a modern society you know just like he struggles with the you know the justifications in the gray areas you can see where like i mean i don't think the punisher ever became one of the avengers it's probably well i'm sure he did at some point but it's maybe not the best plan <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i don't know i think uh uh the um one of the revival attempts of the new universe if uh 
um, if I remember right, actually, it seemed like Justice was actually the villain yeah. in the book, or was going to be, or something. So it's hard for people. I mean, now it's even harder for people to imagine this sort of approach and and worldview in a sympathetic light. I guess. Um, yeah. Justice versus the social justice warriors. <laughs> <laughs> justice in 2022 like it would be uh we're just sticking it to the uh sjws yeah like he has his own youtube channel it's always you know, <laughs> going around in their face with like you know making tiktoks of them or something i don't know um <laughs> i could imagine i could imagine some some interesting storytelling with that and like like he becomes their hero, like you know, you know, kills some white supremacists or something like that kind of thing without even you know, no trial, that kind of thing. And like, yay. Yeah. But it's not he's not quite like you, you know, it's, it's not the same. But yeah. Alrighty. Break time. Uh we still not need a grade for this one. Ah, grade, yes, almost forgot. Uh, I don't know. I, I didn't have anything bad to say about it. Seems like an A to me. I'll give it an A minus. I don't know why I'm being more cautious with it, but it's uh, it's a very enjoyable and uh, high level um, craft and uh, enjoyable story. Yeah, we got new characters. We've got you know good creepy art it's got a little bit of everything you know and my favorite is like the the narration boxes too the you know the voice like black ash born on volcanic wind and like all right score <laughs> one for you writers i like um the dark justice was pretty cool but for some reason i like malachite that like yeah that weird general whatever hopefully we'll see more of him I, I hope so too. Yeah, we could definitely use a showdown with Malachite. <laughs> Malachite! <Yeah. laughs> well, let's take a break and come back with some DP7s. Welcome back. I'm going to jump right into uh, DP7, number 10. DP710, we all remember the Boeing 710 model. That's um, why I started calling it issue 10. Uh, you can stop with, with your number games. Come on, next time is DP711. And if I can't get a good joke by the time that comes out, I don't We'll fire every writer in our uh, joke room. <laughs> we'll make a big slushy slurping sound. <laughs> uh, DP7 issue 10 um, has a nice cover of David Landers sort of hiding behind a tree in a snowy woods while a mysterious fellow in 
kind of furs and what's sort of survivalist um, with a bow and arrow is uh, coming through the snow in his direction with a large dog or possibly wolf. And we have a subtitle, Stalked by the Woodsman. We're presuming this is this Grizzly Adams dude is the woodsman. Yeah, or maybe the dog is the woodsman. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, the woods dog. A twist you'd never expect. <laughs> the dog is the man. You know, I, I've never yet seen that like animals are suspect or susceptible to the white event uh, paranormal malady. Although that would oh. be pretty interesting. So, um, logo is in red. New universe logo is in red for all those keeping score at home. And it's the first issue where we have a different character in the Marvel corner box. Hmm. Oh, what do you got? It had been Randy all up until this point, but uh, then we got Stephanie. Oh, cool. I've just got the UPC. uh, I mean, like this thing. Oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Little character, because it had always been Randy and his like weird white outfit that only shows up in promotional art. You're right. The top left uh, corner is uh, Stephanie sparkling. It's cute. Um, Yeah, my comic says the year of the reader. So, (laughs) yeah, that's I've got that on my justice. So, I think that's the the UPC versus like a little whatever logo is uh, whether it was on the newsstands or yeah direct market. So whether it actually came off of the spinner rack at the newsstand or not. Hmm. Going inside, we've got a uh, splash page of David Landers running towards a um, barrier of some kind. And he's not as close as he was a couple of issues ago where like you had a close-up of his face yelling, Stephanie! Um, but he has that same sort of expression. And uh, he's saying, they're still after me. I know it. Got to make this. It's my only chance. As he's rushing towards you, the reader. Um, As we said, the title is indeed Orphan. And the narration box helpfully tells us that it is on the outskirts of Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Um, And the creative team again, Gruenwald, Ryan, and Willanati, I think took over from as Inker relatively recently from Romeo Tunkal um, under Ralph Macchio, the editor. Um, and let's see where well, this is following up from maybe two issues ago where um, the rest of the DP7 had been captured by the headhunters slash freelancers who were non-superpowered um, mercenaries or security people. Um, what do you call them? Strike Force? Something like that. <sighs> tired goons tired goons uh, sent by the clinic to round them up and in the last issue it was all showing the other DP6 trapped at the clinic in a endless dream state I guess um, induced and here we get back to Dave who we knew was the one who had escaped um, leaving Lenore in that like RV that they were uh, driving away from Stephanie's kids from and all the uh, brouhaha a couple issues ago. And I think this must pick up just 
minutes after that because David sort of scrambled off and said to himself, I can either fight them or try to escape. And maybe I should just try to escape. Yeah, this almost could work even better as an issue nine and, and the previous one was issue 10. <laughs> yeah, these two are probably parallel, you know? Yeah, they're, um, whatever is going on in this, like the matrix that they have the rest of the DP six in, um, the timeline for that doesn't matter. So this is um, picking right back up again, the, the new universe promise of um, real-time progress was sometimes bent a bit in thinking, well, okay, I'm going to run these three issues covering one weekend. And then after that, we'll just say, you know, six months later, you know, so we'll catch up with the rest of the universe at some point, assuming no one blows it up while we're over here in the corner of Wisconsin. That's never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's world outside your window. What's going to happen? Everything stays the same, right? Anyway, uh, we jump into the story on the next page with uh, the other um, view from the other side behind Dave, and it's him running towards a train. A locomotive is going by, and this is the train stop. Um, so he runs up to the train, grabs uh, a boxcar ladder, and uh, obviously that's not easy to do. You see it in uh, like old timey movies, you know. Oh, I'll just jump a train and you know live on the rails. Yeah, it's uh, the trains are going kind of fast, and uh, they're not uh, designed to be jumped on, but. Dave does make it. He gets onto a freight car, uh, busts the lock that is holding one of the doors open. Um, sort of just dragging the door to him. Very strong, you know, remember? And he jumps inside. You see a bunch of boxes in there for electronics, Toshiba, Sanyo, RCA, Atari. Product placement. The Atari um, 8000, even. Ooh. And uh, he gets inside, closes the door, and it's like, well, that'll keep out some of the cold and unfortunately all the light, too. Um, he thinks a little to himself, recapping the previous uh, events that he's running away. Um, it's like, here I am, David Landers, paranormal muscle man and professional coward. That's harsh. He, David's always a little hard on himself, I gotta say. And he's uh, he, he talking about how everyone else got tranked and captured. And uh, he's, he's, he ends up in the panel at the bottom of the page with him sort of sitting in a corner, kind of moping to himself. And the thing is, I'm all muscle, no guts. And it really looks, yeah, like he's down on himself there. Here I am, cold, hungry, alone, wallowing in self-pity. Forgive me, Steffi, wherever you are. I know where she is, where she must be by now. The clinic. And yeah, we switch over to a close-up of Stephanie with some electrodes coming out of her temples and someone uh, saying Stephanie Harrington. Next page, we um, pull back a bit, um, and it's the three... Not goons, creeps, maybe, from the clinic. 
the, the three paranormals um, that were keeping them there in the first place, and that is Charn, Hackbarth, and Speck. And we'll yeah. remember... they're kind of like the lieutenants or something. Like they're the ones who keep everybody in line That's through their uh, you know, abuse of their interesting powers. Yeah, they have uh, various powers of uh, Hackbarth regulates physiological processes. Speck kind of is a televiewer and Charn has some sort of emotional uh, manipulation power. And uh, yeah, we sort of get to know them a little bit better in this issue, which is interesting. I mean, it's really a good multi, the multi um, dimensionality of uh, Gruenwald's writing that you're like, these aren't just, you know, cardboard cutout evil mutants, you know, they're like, fairly reasonably realized uh, characters with their own sort of motivations and goals and stuff. So um, Hackbarth is giving them a hard time, the other two a hard time. Um, and he's talking about how the, everyone, all the DP6 that they have captured there are all hooked up to these uh, glucose bags, you know, feeding them. And there's various monitors, um, not sort of just general hospital looking stuff and he's like uh, he's, he's going through the details of what they're doing but and then he's like hey spec charn you two want to let me on what you're whispering about over there and uh charn pipes up no big secret heck barth tracy was just commenting on how you seem to enjoy it here in the intensive care ward and uh tracy spec does uh even get first names um I'm saying, you do, don't you, Harlan? Seeing people helpless gives you a kick, huh? You're entitled to your pet theories, Spexy. Spexy cracks me up. I don't know why. And uh, just then, uh, Did the boss turn into a 30s gangster or something. <laughs> I've, uh, I've got to differentiate them somehow. So there. one's a guy, one's a girl, one's a 30s gangster. And that way, <laughs> don't mix them up. And just then, uh, the boss arrives. Right, hello, Mr. Voigt. Good to see you. Um, okay, I'll stop doing that now. <laughs> How's the uh, hunt for the seventh, seventh escapee going, sir? He's managed to elude our freelancers so far. Ms. Speck, men in the field could use a bit of your help. Oh, really? What a surprise. And she goes off on him. We'll get a, uh, you know, I think I, uh, I, I said she was in a, cute nurses outfit the other day they're all in this sort of medical scientific uh, outfit now um, white and void in uh, suit and we get a the close-up of uh, I guess Tracy spec is um, as she lays into void for pushing them too hard how she has to uh, do double shifts and all of them are doing double shifts trying to keep these six people sedated and dreaming in the right whatever they want and, you know, she has to monitor them all she still looks cute though um i think it like they it sort of suggested that she's got freckles um, which is unusual i don't see that in a lot of comic book characters especially blondes yeah so she lays into void a little bit more and uh but yeah i'm doing too much and there's only so much you can squeeze out of me before there's nothing left and he just, very well, I'll do it myself. 
just starts walking away and Hackbarth comes starts uh, coming up to Brown knows him somewhere. Uh, you'll have to excuse us, sir. Uh, yeah, we're all doing our best under the uh, circumstances. Uh, and uh, he tells, he's, I guess they're out of the room at this point because he's saying, uh, I know it's my job to regulate those two, keep their adrenaline high and their fatigue poisons low. And so, yeah, Hackbarth is not only regulating all six of the DPs, but he's also uh, controlling the other two people he's working with. And, uh, you know, keeping people's like adrenaline running at double strength for weeks at a time, that's a really great way to uh, have them uh, very edgy and ready to go off on you at all times. But um, I'm not a doctor. Hmm. Fort just says, don't you have work to do, Mr. Hackbarth? Huh? Um, yeah, okay. And uh, he, Hackbarth thinks to himself, how do you like that guy? And I thought I was compassionless. <laughs> I don't know why that cracks me up. He's, I was he's trying to be that like uncompassionate his, guy. It's like on his his uh, resume or something when he goes for a job. How do you see yourself, Mr. Hackbarth? Well, I'm absolutely compassionless. That's really what I bring to the organization. <laughs> you make an excellent quality. toady. And he's thinking to himself, I wonder what he meant by doing it himself. He doesn't have Specs telescanning power, does he? Funny. I don't actually, I don't know exactly what his paranormality is. So um, he's gotten back to the room because Charn and uh, Speck are there. And Charn, you'll see a couple of times this issue is uh, kind of hugging Speck or holding her or something. So you get the feeling there's something a little cozier with those two going on. And uh, Akbar tells him, you know, all right, uh, Foyt said to take a break. So you guys go regulate yourselves out of here. Um, and uh, so we, uh, we see the, um, them taking off. Hackbarth is looking at Randy thinking, you know, I hate him the most because I couldn't do anything with that antibody he, he generates. And I wonder what happened to that thing anyway. Oh, and he mentions that it's been three days. So it's now three days since they captured Randy. So maybe before the volleyball tournament still. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, you could do these in either order. And I don't think it would it wouldn't affect anything. So um Actually, maybe it would even make more sense that way because it did seem like they'd been in under for longer than just a couple of days. But anyway, mm. elsewhere, we have the antibodies still flying around over some uh, snowy evergreen trees. And as usual, it doesn't really talk, but it does have little uh, emoticon, well, parent punctuation marks. So it's looking down and has like a question mark and then has an exclamation mark and then just sort of falls to the ground outside of a large building. And inside that building, you see a shadow in a window thinking, what's that? Just as this antibody hits the snow. Go inside, and we have a young boy. And he's got a ah, Fantastic Four t-shirt on and a number of comic books in the corner of his room. Otherwise, it's a pretty uh, kind of dingy room. And he's this um, redheaded uh, kid with glasses and 
a nerdy look. We'll just call him annoying orphan. And I gotta say, I'll just I'll just put it put it in here. Um, Ryan was fine with Stephanie's kids. You know what I mean? They looked very more kid like. There's something about this the kids in this issue that look more like dwarves or hobbits or something. <laughs> it looks a little bit like he's wearing the glasses with the fake nose and the mustache, just without <laughs> the mustache. It's a little, uh, yeah, I don't know, but um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what age we're supposed to be going for here. But nobody, nobody draws kids in comic books that well, I suppose. Yeah, better than John Byrne's kids. I don't even remember a Byrne kid. Yeah. Byrne draws some weird giant-headed children, like when you'd have to draw like Power Pack and stuff like that. Oh uh, yeah, okay. So. The kid is saying to himself, something landed in the yard. A person. Looks like the human torch, only all black. Like they say, he's a comic book reader. They're all Marvel comic books. So, you know, take that distinguished competition. Hmm. He's he's got, uh, he's like, oh, that's probably comic book stuff. This is really a a pilot or an astronaut. And uh, he says someone will kill him if they catch him, but he's got to go see what it is. So, Grabs his coat, heads outside, and he goes up to the antibody and he's like, you know, he's confused by it because it looks semi-transparent, apparently. But he he comes up and, uh, hey, mister? And the thing moves and screams. And um, it then puts his hands into the kid and then jumps right inside him. What is he, a ghost or something? And uh, we'll remember that the antibody has powers of um, replaying things it's seen, or maybe things from uh, Randy's memory too, because it fills this kid with memories of DP7. Wow, suddenly pictures are going through my head. I see people, weird people with powers like in the comic books. It's like I know everything about them. Scuzz and Charlie and Dave and, and Randy. That's who this antibody belongs to you see all nice little shots of all of them um especially scuzz <laughs> but um so he realizes the problem that the antibody has now lost and it needs its um creator randy and as he's thinking this to himself someone is coming up behind him and it's this woman who grabs him and is um, giving him a pretty hard time. Evan Hubner, what are devil's name are you doing out here in the snow? You'll catch your death of cold. Miss Twombly. Uh, it's, um, uh, so she drags him back inside. And I guess it's like a orphanage or something. Uh, we've got a lot of other little boys. Um, Evan's going to get it as she marches him upstairs. And then goes up to a room and is um, about to start spanking him. And <laughs> the antibody hand jumps out and pushes, holds her hand back. He doesn't quite see what's going on, but she's pretty taken aback and is like, wait, what? Huh? I, I better just go get myself a tea and settle down. <laughs> Wasn't that the thing's catchphrase? It's spanking time? <laughs> it's a... Um, Evan got a licking. I, I mean, it's the like 
it's like Charles Dickens took over the book for a page here. I don't know. Like, uh, Wisconsin's always a few decades behind, right? Oh, yeah. We know how those flyover hicks are. Yeah. Sorry, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Evan's pretty happy with uh, Antibody from saving him from the uh, spanking. And the next page we have six hours later, Dave is waking up on the train and it's uh, still snowing. Um, and he's like, wonder what time it is, where I am. Looks like northern Wisconsin, maybe even Canada. And it, so I, I double check the map. You, I, you know, you could be, you have to go through, I think, Minnesota to get into Canada from Wisconsin. Um, or maybe through the upper peninsula of um, Michigan. Michigan, yeah. But um, it's not my, my expert um, on how to get there, but um, that's where he's headed, he thinks. And he's looking out the door and hunters, they've got to be looking for me. And you see a couple of guys in a, uh, another box car and they've got their rifles again, um, looking into something, a couple of cars forward of him. And he's like, what do I do? Jump off the train, hope they don't notice. Oh, uh-oh. And like the door on the other side of him opens up and this rifle's poking in. So someone jumps in and then you see Dave like grab them by the back of the collar and throw them into the box, one of the boxes in the car there. Hmm. Is he still breathing? Yeah, but there's a lot of blood. Hmm. Well, it's too darn bad. They started this. I didn't ask to be hunted down like an animal. Um, not uh, blame him there. Who is that? I think it's Paracone. Maybe. <laughs> Nobody knows who these people are. <laughs> Come on. I'm doing my best here. Yeah, yeah I appreciate I, it. I think they, uh, the they haven't, Go ahead. They haven't listed them officially, so I, I'm just doing going through my previous assignments. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Landers makes sort of a critical mistake that maybe if he played more video games he would have done better but like where after he beats the first guy then he decides to leave the train car where i'm thinking you just stay in there and then every time one of them pops in which is not the easiest thing to do to like get in from the roof or from the side on into his train car just punch the guy throw him out right just yeah he's got a defensible position right and um i mean they that last issue with him and Lenore, they were kind of doing that in this house, like luring the cops inside in to um, that Lenore would just put them to sleep. So at this point, yeah, he could either punch one of them probably before they got to him or he has one of their rifles. So, yeah. Right. He is, <laughs> Maybe Lenore was the strategizer, though. So <laughs> it's a. Uh... She read the Aeneid a lot, so she's uh, well familiar with classical uh, strategy. A lot of train battles in the Aeneid. I absolutely forget if there's battles in the Aeneid. Um, <laughs> there's probably not trains, though. Yeah, I must be thinking of other classical studies. But anyway, so he uh, he heads out of the car and is um, climbing along this another the side of this box car and. Um, 
he's yeah he's thinking to himself the clinic must be run by nutcases to stick so much money into grabbing one lousy runaway patient he's he's not wrong they, good they point man. a lot of effort into this but. um we have someone on the roof oh, the mystery so this this is not fraley because he's like fraley found him um the redhead guy and he fires a uh when the trank darts into Dave, Dave responds with his own gun, hits the guy, and uh, the guy is passed out on the roof of the train in the next panel. So Dave's like, oh, dart in my shoulder. Uh, this is getting me down. Gets up to the roof himself, and there's the uh, African-American guy um, who took out Lenore, I think or showed up afterwards. And um, he's got his rifle right on Dave as he pops his head up. Um, Dave ducks down, miss the shots miss him. He comes back up, calls the guy a buzzard, and fires a couple of rounds into him. Looks like he, he uh, was successful. So that's two hunters down, plus one in the car. But then he gets a couple of uh, tranks from the back. Um. How many are there total? Like eight? I thought there were seven also, seven. but they say like six uh, in there somewhere. Like Boyd is saying. Thinks, Maybe one of them quit. Yeah, this like panel I took out of uh, the initial um, Boyd talking to them has seven guys in it. Um, so yeah, one of them, I think the one I Bernard, the beard is uh, behind him. Uh, Dave tries to fire at him, misses, and uh, feels the trank uh, taking effect. He's like, I better jump off. Well, we're going around a curve. Maybe the, they won't see me. And he rolls down the side of a hill, at least. And nice kind of multi-figure in a panel kind of thing of him rolling down this snowy hill. Gets to the bottom and then like gotta rest so tired no no i won't be able to get up again gotta keep going gotta keep going so he stalks off into the snowy woods back up at the uh train the guy i think is bernard is yelling at price uh i saw lander's jump i'm going after him you get the others and deploy a search pattern blah 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 He's like, it's only a thousand meter lead on me, and uh, I'll be able to catch him in no no trouble. It's a whole, it's, it's, it's like quite a distance there, buddy, and you don't have any superpowers, but okay. It's overconfident. Meanwhile, back at the clinic, um, Tracy Speck is talking to Voight at his office, and uh, she's saying, uh, "Excuse me, sir, I must. I know." You wish to leave the clinic. Um, yeah, that's right. You see, I don't feel that. Keep your reasons to yourself. There's your paycheck and get out. Hey, he gave her two weeks severance pay. You know, people say bad things about Void, but, you know, he's pretty generous. With that. I don't know. <laughs> um, so she's like, what? He knew what I was coming for. I don't. Uh, I shouldn't have. She thinks that, like, the other two guys, one of them uh, told on her. And she calls them Harlan or Dex. So the um, 
Harlan Hackbarth and Dexter Charm. Um, so she gets outside and is like, what a cold fish. She didn't want to listen to me or talk to me. And uh, well, I'm going to go inside his head and see if they're, you know, see what's going on. Now she's curious because it's funny that none of these people even know what Voight's power is. They're all like, yes, sir. Yeah, absolutely, sir. And, uh, you know, Voight's power is apparently strong enough to control all of them without even realizing, I think, that they're being controlled. So. Or something. Something. Go, yeah, an interesting panel. We go through Tracy's eyes is she's like i'm going inside and that's like a picture of her sort of floating up against a close-up of her face in blue where so it's like her falling in darkness and she's just so cold i must get out i can't and then the next panel we just see her passed out on the floor bump so Going like every time some... Jean Grey uses her powers in the X Men cartoon, faint like, oh, <laughs> bump. <laughs> Whatever uh, is going on with the boy, you don't want to try investigating it with your powers. I guess um, we have a little uh, aside with Evan Hubner again and his annoying uh, school or orphanage uh, bullies. I guess. Um, or a bunch one. of mean dwarves. Also possible, yeah. We all know what's going on in northern Wisconsin. Sing the Oopa Loopa song here or something. Um, he's uh, walking along talking to um, Shadow Man, as he calls it. And um, these two kids like scare him and make him drop his books. And then they're like going to... Um, push him around even more and again look very dwarf like i don't know um eat the snow and uh antibody pops out and just taps each of them and saves you evan again and uh the kids are like both like pushed off and scared of whatever they saw so evan runs away and is talking to shadow man a second later in a little under the bridge where the trolls live and uh the the antibody writes in the snow or something here dying with his finger with his finger yeah not <laughs> <laughs> not writing his name in the snow in the classical sense um there's another writing... way that men can do it i'm not sure that the antibody can do that though <laughs> some sort of ghost spirit went onto the snow and i I don't really want to touch it now. <laughs> it's saying, dying, need help to find host. Evan's like, what's a host? Okay, This is going to be a long conversation as the shadow man realizes. <sighs> Audible sigh. Earlier, we have back to Dave, and he is lying in the snow, passed out, and this wolf dog is sniffing him, and the um, fellow in furs with uh, snowshoes is. Oh, we can just call him the woodsman. He hasn't introduced himself yet. Is saying to the dog, I guess, what have we here, demon? 
Not demon conquest. <laughs> demon. Still alive, is he? Won't be out here for long. So the guy looks at Dave. He's got uh, like a rabbit he's captured or something in his hand. And then uh, we just see him dragging Dave back in a, oh, what do you call that? The makeshift. Um, yeah, like a stretcher. There's a stretcher. term for it that I'm missing. Yeah, something like a military thing. Um, so he's coming back to his cabin in the woods there with the dog and Dave in a stretcher. And then the next panel, he is literally holding Dave over his shoulder, taking him into his cabin. I think we'll, I don't even remember now, what is like three, 400 pounds Dave weighs? Yeah, it's one tough woodsman. Yeah, he's been, he gets a good workout from his uh, life in the woods. Um, he's taking him inside, he puts him into his bed and it's like... Uh, I like that he tells the dog to get the medicine pouch, like the dog can <laughs> do that? <laughs> get the medicine pouch. Yeah, there's a, a funny mystery science theater uh, thing where like this sword and sorcery caveman swordsman is like dog go get me the medicine um, so it's a little like that anyway dave wakes up three hours later huh what huh and uh who are you i'm just a woodsman dun 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 i mean he's grizzly adams so. yeah <laughs> oh yeah right the woodsman I found you out in the snow about a mile from here. Don't worry, your arms and feet are a little frostbite. You'll be okay, though. And what odd darts I dug out of you. Dave thinks for a second, this guy can't be with the clinic, right? And yeah, there's very little chance he could be. Um, the woodsman continues, um, some sort of poison? And uh, yeah, um, want some rabbits to rabbit we saw earlier i guess um i mean he's really been nice he why are you doing this for me you gave him some mitten yeah very helpful um like he's a survivalist you know but he's he knows all this sort of um how to help people who have, been, who have frostbite and everything so and he's just yeah just generally uh quite pleasant to him yeah giving him his bed and all that so um Dave looks still pretty dizzy from the darts and uh, says he appreciates all you've done for me, Woodsman, but there's danger. There's some men that are after me. They think I'm a criminal, but I'm not. And uh, Woodsman tells him, you're no condition to go anywhere, my friend. Demon, what is it? Somebody is outside. The dog is growling. And uh, the guy just says, you stay here and uh, I'll take care of it. Remember, these guys took out all the other DP. They're, they're no pushovers. They weren't woodsmen, though. These are my woods. Um, flashback to the clinic. Tracy, how are you doing? Have a good nap. And she's talking to Charn. Yes, uh, instead of Dex. I'm not sure which is more appropriate, but whatever. Um, how long was I asleep? Six hours. What a weird dream I was having. More dreams. Interesting. You regulate people's dreams all day and you never think like, hmm, I wonder if anyone's regulating my dreams. Anyway, she's, she confesses to him that she had decided to peek into Voight's mind and it's sort of like a, an even more interesting um, 
thing of like her up against a black star field but instead of her own face somewhere it's like outlines of Voight's face he's like suddenly I felt I was falling through an endless void blackness all around me I was all alone cut off from everything and everywhere abandoned in the universe and then when I gave up all hope then Mr. Voight was standing there gleaming in the darkness and it looks like, uh, I don't know, like Conan in a Frazetta cover or something. You know? Yeah. It reminds me of like one of those bad, like Donald Trump photoshops or something where like they have him on Rambo or like, you know, it's like amazing gleaming figure, but it's just like Voight in his suit. <laughs> the golden emperor. Yeah. It's a regular dude. And, uh, and then he led me back into the light. It's more like a religious leader at this point. I don't know. And she's like, uh, yeah, it's pretty weird stuff. Uh, but uh, my symbolic uh, father protective figure would be pretty interesting for an analyst. And Charn is thinking to himself, Tracy would kill me if she learned she really did go to Void and quit. And I just spent the better part of four hours adjusting her mind to think it was all a dream. Hmm. Yeah, what a weird hallucination she had. And uh, Hackbarth tells them to get back to work. So life continues there at the clinic where everyone is a slave to mind control. <laughs> it's like even the, even the each, guards. Yeah. yeah. Each set of two guards is manipulating the third guard into staying on the team, basically. Yeah. So I don't know if Charn and Speck are uh, a couple, but uh, yeah, he's not like. He's like protective of her, but he's not honest with her. So we'll see where that goes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, next page is uh, has a Greyhound bus, and Evan and Shadow Man are riding these seats in the back of the bus. And I guess uh, Antibody had picked someone's pocket so they could have the money to to get the bus ticket. Um, but you know, for a young kid, uh, there's not a lot of options to travel around the country. And I, I forget exactly where the clinic is, but it's not in whatever city uh, Evan was in. So he says to the antibody that you're looking kind of sh- fuzzy and maybe you should uh, hop in me and rest. And uh, which he does. And then he's thinking, I hope I can keep him. He's the best friend I ever had. Um, He's talking. He's a uh, you know, He talks a little about being left as a baby, as an orphan. Um, Maybe somebody will adopt me. <laughs> I feel bad, like criticizing this kid just because he looks weird. But you know, <laughs> it, the the general story is pretty sad. It's like abandoned. Yeah, Let's go send him to live with the woodsman. We'll and, toughen uh, him up a bit. Yeah, yeah. Life in the woods will do it. He's like Shadow Man. Do you like me? And uh, Shadow Man gives him an okay sign, which we all know is a sign of white supremacy. (laughs) (laughs) Or banned off of Twitter for that. I don't understand it either, but okay. The Shadow Man's black. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on with the story. uh, We have Bernard, question mark, uh, the bearded guy. Come you know, sneaking through the woods in the snow, and he's like, a cabin. That's where Landers must have been holed up all night. 
while we've been freezing our butts off out here in the woods. And you make your own reality there, Bernard, you know? I mean, you're the one sneaking through the woods in the snow. Don't go complaining to, to Dave just because he found a fireplace. Anyway, he's like, uh, he's getting ready to to attack the cabin, I guess, when he sees uh, Demon, the dog, and he names it as a Siberian Husky. So it's not like a wolf-human hybrid, just a Siberian Husky. And he's like, is it wild or does it belong to Arrow in his back? Someone. And yeah, the woodsman has snuck up behind him and has his uh, arrow, bow and arrow pointing right in the middle of his back. And Bernard is taken by surprise. He's like, I didn't hear anyone approach. Keep your hands where I can see him. So he starts marching him back to the cabin. And he's like, you're making a big mistake, pal. I got friends and he's got nothing to do with you. Keep walking. So he says he's got five friends. Maybe that's where I got the sixth number from. Mm. And um, he, he, he's still walking, but he grabs and reaches inside his, uh, his coat. And then you get a nice uh, panel of him like trying to do a quick uh, turnaround with his gun. Now's my chance. <laughs> and the dog comes and clamps its uh, teeth on his arm. Good dog. So he's down on the ground. He's like, and the woodsman's like, you're lucky if uh, I was going to uh, put an arrow between your lungs if I hadn't seen that the dog was going to jump on you. Anyway. So anyway, let's go. Takes him inside to the cabin where um, Landers is like, well, here we go. This is trouble. And he's, Woodman says, three of us are going to have a talk. I want you to know. I want to know why he's after you and what he thinks you've done. And then I will decide what to do next. Woodsman's a little bit like Justice here. He's off on his own. The the thing that it reminded me of was like Tom Bombadil. I don't know. You're like off on a quest and then you like have this like guy who's nice to you and takes you in, but he doesn't sort of help you more than that. You know what I mean? You've got like a refuge there, but maybe that's all you need, you know. Yeah. head out these guys are still going to be after you um thankfully no singing nick sometime look I, I next issue the song of the woodsman okay come on guys um <laughs> next next panel we've got uh evan showing up at the clinic um he says it looks like a hospital or school or something he goes up to a receptionist and asks to see randy o'brien and uh sh- she questions him a little and then calls Voight, surprisingly. Take it straight to the top. There's a boy here who wishes to see Randy O'Brien. And uh, Voight's right there uh, with a couple of orderlies. Are you Randy? No, no, I'm Voight. You found the antibody, haven't you? What? How do you know about what? Huh? And ask him to bring the creature out. And Evan tries to, and it kind of rolls out. Voight tells... Uh, says orderlies to grab him and um heaven's like shadow man what's wrong he looks pretty sick quick bring randy only he can no please shadow man don't fade out on me we made it here your host is here he can help you shadow's just dis- disintegrating it's um uh, it's like that avengers movie endgame no infinity war they're going to just 
clicks and turns to dust and blows away. Never heard uh, of it. It was popular a couple of years ago. Yeah, it must have been. It's don't leave me, don't die. It's not fair. Everybody I care about leaves me. No, I'm alone again. Alone. Alone. Quiet alone. down, orphan. <laughs> Boyd slaps him around just to show you. <laughs> Boyd's like comforting him. So he's like, come on, dude. You're supposed to be the villain. Come on. Alone. And yeah, the, the antibody has just disappeared. And, um, Evans in tears, and it just says the end down there. And, you know, like I said, this is kind of touching stuff. Um, I, you know, young boy, always an orphan, always alone, and he gets a brief interaction with this um, friendly. Yeah, basically, it's like a real imaginary friend. Yeah. 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 There you go. So it's kind of cool from his angle. Um, and it's, you know, sad when it just disappears on him again. Um, so we don't know if that means it's, you know, gone forever or um, hopefully um, it's not the end of Randy's paranormality. But uh, we don't know where that's going. We don't know what Evan's, what's going to happen with Evan. Voight is, seems quite in control of everything. And uh, our best uh, hope is that... Um, Dave will convince the woodsman to um, help him, although he still thinks, you know, these other hunters will show up any minute and sort of force the issue anyway. Dave Landers breaks through the wall of the clinic like the Kool-Aid man and the woodsman's (laughs) flanking him like shooting arrows. Oh, yeah. Dog, find the others. (laughs) You know... Pump it up to DP8, man, and let's just get get some more people in. Involved. I mean, nine if you count Demon the dog. Ten with the orphan. Um, you know, and if you can just get Spec on your side, she seems like the most malleable of those three uh, clinic goods. Up to 11. Okay. Also, like, if they ever want any hope of escaping, <laughs> she kind of needs, needs to be uh, not You either to... need her on your side or kill her. So I'm kind of hoping they convince her to join them. And there we go. We actually do have a letters page, amazingly enough. Yeah. I will uh, I'll read the intro to it just for um, historical. Where in the new universe has the DP7 letters page been these last nine issues? Our deme- readers demand to know. Well, uh, it seems our creative cohorts, Mark Gruenwald and Paul Ryan, keep insisting on producing 23-page stories instead of 22 eating up the space we customarily reserve for reader correspondence. This issue is no exception, but we beg the powers that be to allow us an extra page for editorial material this time around, so we can finally present a smattering of your opinions on the saga of our seven displaced paranormals. And I think, as they said in Star Spitfire, it's just the letters uh, page is just letters to DP7. There's no, like, Oh, we need a cool name for like our letters column, which was a big thing back then. Um, yeah, because... the first couple of issues would always be filled up with what? How about you call it like displaced emails? <laughs> no, eighty-seven. No email. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, let's see. So a couple of uh, you know positive um, comments about 
I guess the first issue or two. Yeah, it's mostly talking about the first issue. I thought the um, the piece that was interesting. I mean, yeah, there's nothing super interesting out of the the people writing in, um, but I liked that you know someone said is paranormal as in displaced paranormal is just a fancy way of saying mutant. It seems to me that all these people at the clinic for paranormal research could just be mutants whose powers manifested late. Please let me know. <laughs> From Wisconsin. So, yeah, he's got a, a good paragraph of the, the delineation between paranormal and mutant. So should we read that? Sure. Yeah, so paranormal is not just another word for mutant, John, you idiot. Dumbass. <laughs> Dumbass. A mutant is a person or other living organism, so leaving it open for the dog. Uh, who at birth has a unique trait or characteristic encoded in his in his or her genetic structure. In some cases, that trait does not fully become apparent until the organism undergoes adolescence or reaches maturity. I'm getting real scientific sounding here. A paranormal, in the sense that it is used in the new universe, is a person who was born perfectly normal and acquires by some means or another trait or characteristic totally unexpected by the organism's genetic structure. If you've gone through adolescence already, you know if you're a mutant or not by now, but you can still have time to become a paranormal. Look at Lenore. She was perfectly normal until age 66 and then acquired paranormal abilities. All clear? More of your letters next month. So right now. We'll see if we actually get letters next month. I, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, you're a normal person, not a mutant. You get powers from the white event, which is the only way anybody's gotten them now. So, yeah, there's no, uh, there was, yeah, there was nothing before the white event, is, is the short way of yeah. describing so it. More like the Fantastic Four. You know, they're just normal people. Right. You got yeah. magical space powers. I did like one of the letters writing in said, um, Mr. Gruenwald's script reminded me of some of the better science fiction movies that network TV produces. Since the budget is relatively small, the story must be strong in order to keep the audience a special effects would keep, uh, a special effects feast would keep. Which is something I think I've, I've said before, they, they have like a TV movie quality sometimes. Mm. And yeah, like the budget seems smaller than like the you can do anything Marvel universe where, you know, um, and so you end up with some like more character driven stories. Um, yeah. And if you kind of do the new universe ever, I mean, if Marvel is making series about like weird characters like Moon Knight and stuff, right. It, it's possible. Like it would be a really nice way to do like a more grounded thing where you don't have to go crazy with the effects and the budget, but you would have to write it well. <laughs> In order for it to, to work you know so yeah more like the netflix shows where they like daredevil and a couple luke cage i guess and a couple of those things where you have just sort of a lower expectation level of powers and more expect expecting more stronger stories um and yeah you could do that with i mean the the wikipedia did agree with us that it tp7 looks a lot like that uh, heroes show from a few years ago so yeah it's been noticed i think so fair enough yeah. then our discussion let's see 
they just, uh, for this one, have from Mark Gruenwald, if I had Dave Lander's strength, I'd probably find a way to cash in on it. Weightlifting at the Olympics or professional wrestling or something like that. Yeah, I mean. Probably make more money professional wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'd worry more about Dave's uh, long-term health, but I guess it's the steroids that really take their toll on the actual professional wrestlers. If you would have that physique without the steroids, perhaps you, you'll be in good shape. I don't know. Yeah, though, I mean, we don't know. I mean, the white event could have just, like, amped up his steroids like crazy, too. So even though it was outside influence, you know, maybe he's not the healthiest living situation either. So. Well, it's the thing with his like you know, hair loss and stuff is that he always seems like, yeah, that's testosterone overdose. Um, so yeah, he could be more, he could have some long-term consequences we haven't thought about yet, but this is all pretty new to us. So. This is true. And I, 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 and would still be a little bit of, at a loss as to what to do with Dave Landers powers, right? I don't, the discussion in the dream group therapy was kind of like who had it the worst off and Dave wasn't there for that one, but like visually and like standing out and not really fit, fitting in anymore. Like he's definitely uh, on that list, not as bad as Lenore, but, and maybe not as bad as psychic explosive pimple man, but I think, yeah, Dave, I mean, being like a, a wrestler or something, I mean, if you're sort of that obvious, then doing something where you're, you're publicly known makes as much sense as anything. I mean, why, why be Andre the Giant uh, vacuum cleaner salesman? Just be Andre the Giant wrestler. Right on. You, you use your gifts, whatever, yeah. Um, yeah, some of them are really... I mean, like Lenora can't do much without going outside looking like the mummy. So as a practical effect, you know, you could keep her around a hospital for sedation purposes, but. <laughs> Send him to the, to the Lenora room. And then I don't know if this is something that came up uh, that I'm half remembering, but um, Charlie Charlie's abilities actually would duplicate Spider-Man and a couple oh, of kind of you could just strength. walk up a wall and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're missing a couple of parts of it, but you could do like, you know, Oh, the doors are locked. I can just walk up, you know, this skyscraper until I can get in or something like that. So yeah. I think that's, um, it's funny when you have like the, you could reduplicate other people's powers through, non-obvious means hmm. yeah stephanie's would be the one to have i think because i mean you you got a little bit of glowing right and, which is that's, funny because she's so put out answer. by it but like extra strength and healing kind of like i said uh, i think once before if you were like you could go out as a faith healer and people wouldn't even blink twice you know you're like yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, it's it's crazy, but uh, yeah, no, come if you're feeling sick, come to me and you'll actually be healed. And, you know, no one would be like, what a suspicious thing. And, you know, at most they just think she's a fake, but, you know, um, so you could sort of slip that one by without being too, you know, out of like society wouldn't 
freak out if you sort of found your a role that fits what you you can do. Yeah, you've kind of given them a plausible explanation to not think that you have this actual ability. Right. But I mean the 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 weirdos generally would believe in the faith healers, so it wouldn't be that surprising that like, I'm healed. So yeah, oh, I mean, hey, actually you are. <laughs> well, you are. Yeah. So if like if you're fringy and not not into, you know, modern medicine can't help you, you go to this like last resort person. She would work, maybe she should be hired by Kickers Inc. Um, let's see. I have no idea what to do with the antibody exploratory stuff. You could probably be like a deep sea diver and things like that. Yeah, so spying, search and rescue. I don't know. Um, Jeff's super speed. I don't know that he could like type super fast and do sort of other things you know what i mean think fast yeah yeah um so just moving around fast i mean messengers aren't really required in today's society um he's a super fast mailman (laughs) he he, this package delivered really fast i can definitely get it there overnight in fact in 20 minutes anywhere in the country just like a teleporting service backpack full of mcdonald's and (laughs) oh scuzz does not have a lot of non-military applications so no maybe recycling (laughs) that's good too yeah so i mean that's a case where maybe he should just go with it um give your life some structure scuzz don't don't play this rebel without a cause thing forever one day you're like 30 and you're like i'm still cool gonna go burn through some stuff now yeah you're not cool anymore no none of us are (laughs) can you tell that your beloved podcasters are not uh 18 year old kids anymore (laughs) Mm, i would have thought our uh rampant idealism would have uh (laughs) Convince them of our youthful exuberance. I think I just made up a word there. Uh, okay. Any other suggestions for the DP's powers set? I forget them. I want to be the woodsman. Woodsman's pretty good. He's got his uh, thing set had, up, and the dog looks nice. I like. If that. I had some good DVDs and a PS4, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not sure the woodsman has electricity. So, yeah, looks a little rough up there. That is it for this week's episode. Oh, did I give it a grade? I'll save A minus for DP7. Forgetting to grade again. Yeah. Um, yeah, this feels like an A minus. I love it. It's good. I love it. It's annoying forward. And, uh, yeah. Backstory, multiple stories going on at once. So, yeah. DP7 yeah, is good. There's, there is an emotional hit with evan but since i wasn't really feel much connection with him in the first place like you know but um yeah i definitely liked the way that they didn't make it you know like all that work and you were expecting like this is going to be the thing to you know wake up randy and have him realize what's going on but like nope (laughs) antibody crumbles all information is lost except for i guess the kid now knows what went on oh They'll just go reprogram the kid now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oof. 
Oh, so that is it for this week's episode. Next time we'll be looking at Codename Spitfire number 11. Yay. They haven't changed the title again. Um, maybe we'll see the actual new Spitfire suit. Maybe it'll never show up. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so the, they gave so up telling us, like, next time the new Max armor. You know, with less troubleshooters and less max armor. Um, yeah, so the solicitation says, Jenny Spitfire Swenson has the brains to be a top intelligence agent, but does she also have the cold-blooded nerve? The CIA must know. And now they're betting her partner's life on the answer. No win, written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Grant Meehan. A new writer and more cia messing with her like i thought they wanted to work with her uh, but the the short solicitation was spitfire 11 a new title and a new direction spitfire has become an operative for a secret government organization cia, CIA. Uh, and now she's headed for south america oh, all right maybe she's the new into... direction is south okay <laughs> she run into the guy with the candy bars that was from Vargas. Kickers Kickers Inc. 10, if, you, if you're wondering. Gustavo Vargas, yes. Ah, and Starbrand will be taking a break again on its now bi-monthly schedule. And we will return, it'll return next month with number nine when Codename Spitfire 12 comes out, I guess. Yeah. Womp womp. So, Ah, so until then, uh, next week, you can find our website again, kickersinc.com. You can email us a cool new universe slogan. I'm still going with make mine new until anyone comes up with something better. So mm. fight me, Jimmy, fight me. <laughs> um, at, uh, you can email those to newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And until next week, We'll see you when we'll see you back at the spinner rack. <laughs>